Welcome to Tricks of the Rich, the cure for financial FOMO. That's the fear of missing out on what all the rich people seem to know that no one ever told the rest of us. We've heard that rich people know how to make money work for them. Were we absent the day they taught that? We're still working for money. But we've decided to do what the rich do. Assemble a team of expensive experts and advisors to do the hard work for us. They'll be our guests and we're going to pick their brains every week and learn the tricks of the rich so we have a chance to get rich too, if we so choose. We weren't born with membership in the Rich Person Club, so we're going to crash it. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Jen, and this is kind of episode one of our little mini series, Joel and Jen Build an Estate Plan. Joel is going to go through everything that I need to do from soup to nuts because I have nothing right now. And I've got two kids and a husband and um, need to get that in order. So thanks a lot for listening. This is episode one, concentrating mostly on the family aspects of building an estate plan. All right. So Jen, when we start an estate plan, the first thing we do is we're, we're going to concentrate on three areas, your family, your finances, and then what your estate planning goals are. So we're going to start off by talking about your family. And we have this little four-page worksheet that you filled out for me online, and I printed it out. But before I even start, there's a section called for burning questions. You left that section blank. So I'm going to let you ask me, are there any burning questions or issues whether it's you won the lottery or your children are in jail or anything like that, that you want to ask me before I jump into this. Oh, you know, I mean, that's a perfect example. I don't know what I don't know. Like what, what things might happen that I can't possibly anticipate. Yeah. That question of if uh, my son Cammy ends up the hacker that he looks like he's destined to be and he is in white collar prison. Um, how would change, how would these change things? I guess asking, you might know better than I what things might come up that I should leave um, contingencies in for. Do people do contingencies in, in plans or do they just, if something happens, they come in and revise it? Both. So okay. the standard plan has a lot of contingencies and protective provisions in it. But if something interesting happens in your family, birth, death, marriage, divorce, if you decide to have more kids, if, uh, if somebody wins a lottery or goes to jail, those are all triggers to review and update your estate plan. Okay, so if anything like decisively um, earth shattering happens, obviously I'd get back in touch with you. And then the, the smaller things, I guess the estate plan would kind of trust the trustee to make the decisions that I would make based on those conditions if I weren't around to make them, correct? So it's not, like, it's, not like it's just floating in the wind, it's whoever I designate. Um, I will trust them to use the judgment I would have made if I could have. Correct. Okay. But if you if you can see it coming, we can plan for it even better. I see. What are some of the? Um, now I know this is kind of off the off the book of my estate plan, but what are some of the interesting contingencies you've seen in your career? I love your stories. Well, most estate plans have some provision for minor children or grandchildren, and typically we put in that the money can be used for their care, support, maintenance, and education until they reach a certain age. Some folks don't want to 
give them just one opportunity to blow the money. So some people will break that up into two, three, even 10 different payments before everything is distributed. Some people will expand what it can be used for and will include things like a golf club membership fee or sports season ticket payments. Other people will shrink it back and limit it only to things like education or, or healthcare. I occasionally get folks that do not want to pay for their children's education because they were not able, they didn't get help paying themselves, so they don't want to help their kids. I think maybe based on how much things cost these days, that's not the wisest decision, but I will have people that will set money, significant money aside and say that the children can't have it until they're 35 or 40 and it can't be used for education. But typically it's care, support, maintenance, and education. And how much is significant? Like at what point is it worth I mean, especially with the, with with inflation. Like, if if in thirty years this will and trust is pulled out, yeah, some of my assets might have appreciated, but it still would be a pittance relative to what expenses may be then. So, at how much is enough money that you would actually consider kind of divvying it up for certain? Um, time periods. Like I know you had a client at one point, you're like, well, they have a chance to blow half a million dollars by the time they're 30, but they can only blow that much. And the next $500,000 is for the next decade for them to either screw up or make good on. It's completely up to my client. A million dollars seems to be the trigger. If the kid's going to get over a million dollars in one lump sum, a lot of people want to break that up, but there is no rule. And you just make the best decision you can for today because we can always change it later on. So a lot of folks play family feud with me when they pick their age. Age 25 is the most popular age. So I tell folks, all right, well, when your kids turn 25, we're going to meet again, and that'll be the time to either put them in charge or bump the age up to 35. We'll see. And how hopefully they're not in the room to know that you still think they're too immature to handle your trip. <laughs> Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. How has that gone over? I, I usually am more subtle in my language when I have the kids in the room. Gotcha, I understand. I'll use age of distribution and supposed to say 25, or is he really a, a big loser? You tell me he is. Oh, my God. But usually when we're talking about restrictions, we don't have them in the room. Gotcha. Yeah, that would definitely make sense. Now, you made the point, you know, if you wanted to put an accommodation, for instance, I've always had this private box at the Giants games, and no matter what, I want to own that private box, prop up my cryogenically preserved body in that box for the, until my estate runs out. If you make a provision like that, um, who makes sure that that is followed if the trustee, like, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot to ask for a trustee, like make a payment on this box or do this one thing or make sure there's flowers on my grave every month for the next 50 years. Like, what can you, is there, a, is it possible that people make requests that are unrealistic or how do they accommodate making sure those wishes are, are actually fulfilled? Or if all your kids get your money and they disagree with that choice, how much effort is put into making sure what you want, which might seem frivolous, is carried out? All right, I'm going to stop you right there because I can't remember more than eight questions at a time. Oh, sorry. First of, all, first of all, you're not allowed to freeze your body and put it in a ballpark. 
Um, but that is a <laughs> trustee. I know. Job. I've seen you yeah. in your giant's regalia. But that is a trustee's job to carry out your wishes, but they can make it easy on themselves. So if you want flowers every month at a gravesite, you can you can arrange that through um, the um, cemetery and just pay them and they'll take care of it for you. If you want to make an annual payment for something, you can set up an annuity for that. If you want to give your kids monthly payments, you can set up an annuity for that. So I have folks that literally want to say, you know, I don't want my kids to ever get a lump sum. I just want them to get income for our life. And we don't want to stick the trustee with that job. So we can put in your estate plan that will use their share or part of their share to buy an annuity to direct deposit um, monthly. And then the family and the trustee doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And if the kids don't like it, it's kind of too bad. And who polices that, though, if you don't trustee. set up? It's the trustee of the trust who's in charge of that, and the beneficiaries will police them and make sure they do what they're supposed to do. And if everyone collectively agrees, I really don't care that, you know, Jen wanted roses on her grave, then it might just not happen. Like, no one is, no one is following up. Correct. So okay. most people pick their kids or grandkids as their trustees. And if they all get together and agree, 100% of your beneficiaries agree they can do whatever they want. Oh, so what is the distribution of that, that decision-making power then? Because you have the trustee, which I know on the questionnaire it said, do you want them to act alone or act together? If you say act alone, the one person, don't they have authoritarian rights to say, you know, I, 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 will, I will follow all the wishes I can, but this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do this one 10 years from now. Oh, I haven't had anyone not do a ridiculous request, but I'm sure they come up. There's a fine art to picking your trustee, and we're going to talk about that when we get to that section of your worksheet. But I've noticed that the two people you picked acting together live about uh, 3,000 miles apart. It, and when you have co-trustees, they have to be able to get along and work together or nothing's going to get done. So mm -hmm. I usually don't recommend people on opposite ends of the country as co-trustees. It'll be hard just to even get your bills paid. Well, I put that um, my first choice would act alone. And then my second choice I checked to act together because in my mind, it's like, well, if Marianne didn't want to act alone or couldn't act alone, she could ask Katrina for help. But, um, but well, you, can't, you can't have a single person act together unless they have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> She might. There's no one there for her to diagnosis. Well, I was just thinking, you know, I mean, my first choice is for Marianne to act alone. My second choice is for the both of them to act together. So that's kind of why I put yeah. it down where, where it was. But um, so obviously, the first you choice, can't have it both ways. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, my first choice, acting alone, and then I'll put Marianne's name on number two for act together. The two of them is the second choice if Marianne can't act alone. Okay. No, so here's the way it works. Mm -hmm. Marianne is in charge unless she is incompetent or dead. If she is incompetent or dead or doesn't want to do it, she can't then act jointly with somebody else. Okay. So that will not work. So, so the difference between choice one or two when you move from one to the next is incompetence, 
deadness or unwillingness. Right. You might want to just run for cover if your kids are driving her crazy. If you want to act together as a backup, you will need to name an additional person. I see. Okay. That makes sense. Katrina. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. And then um, if in... All right, so I'm going to bring you to line one of the worksheet. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I have so many questions. Like, it, yeah. it does make more sense if we just, you know, go we're going down to in your order. I'll, I'll bring yeah. others up. We're going to focus on family today. Okay. We're going to do assets in the second segment, and then we're going to talk about beneficiaries, trustees, and guardians in the third segment of Jen Does Her First Estate Plan. All right. Jen, what is, remind me what your email address is. Jen, uh, Jennifer at whynotpartners.com. W-Y-N-O-T-T partners.com. And I would like to also have Travis's email. Do you want to put it on the podcast or do you want to just send that to me separately? I can blurp it. I can uh, blurp it out. <laughs> so I'll tell you now it's just... Got it. That way I can send drafts to both of you. Yeah, now, you know, I was going to yeah. ask about that, and this would be the right time, I think, is that if, do you sometimes have one spouse, when you manage a spouse, is it, this is one person's desire, here's another, you just say, like, you two figure it out and present me with one, or do you sometimes have to arbitrate the decisions or the opinions of two people, let's say they're married and intend to stay married, but they just have very different opinions and they kind of want you to moderate. Well, it goes both ways. And a lot of it hinges on a question on about your family that you haven't answered on the worksheet. And the question is for your children, do they belong to both of you? Yes, both. I'm sorry. I, I noticed I missed that X that is one of the most important questions because blended family estate planning is much more complicated and has a lot of conflicting goals sometimes. Whereas when the kids belong to both of you, um, unless you have significant separate assets, usually husband and wife are on board together with the same plan, which is when we're both gone, we want to take care of our kids, eliminate court and taxes and, and accomplish other goals. Gotcha. Yep. Mine is might not be the best case study because it won't be that complex. We're together and both our kids are ours, but good. Yeah. Do All you right. ever, do you get, ever get an uh, ex-spouse involved or, uh, or do you have to know anything about an ex-spouse's plan or coordinate with an ex-spouse? I do when there is a, um, a marital settlement agreement with the ex-spouse that has a state planning requirement. So so here's here's the most horrible story I know that I've dealt with, where they, you know, my client and his ex got divorced. They had a marital settlement agreement, and the marital settlement agreement it required him to have a life insurance policy for a quarter million dollars that would pay to her when he died, and he was required by the agreement to keep the policy up. So he got remarried let the policy lapse, and then he died. His estate is now liable for the $250,000, but there's no life insurance to cover it. So the new wife had to come up with the money out of his assets, and that was difficult. 
So I have to find out if there's anything out there like that. I also want to find out if there's X's so I can put them in everybody's favorite section of the will or trust, the disinheritance clause. <laughs> I was wondering about that sentence. I'm like, I wonder if people often have like attached additional pages as necessary and you end up with they like do. a 10 I've page app. people with five or six prior spouses. So we do a chart and I have to find out if there are any children and if there are any agreements where we have to provide for them if on death. That's not very common though, to provide on death for people. And it wasn't a whole life insurance policy, so it was a badly drafted marital settlement agreement because term insurance always terms out and then becomes extremely expensive. Mm. So um, I think it could have been drafted better. You ready for line one of the worksheet, Jen? Yeah, I'm trying to anticipate questions other people will have, but um, we can go through mine. I'm kind of keeping a running tab of, of other questions I have. Perfect. But right now I want to talk about your family. And the hardest right. question, now I used to tell people this was the easiest question. It turns out this is the hardest question on the whole worksheet. So I'm going to ask the question in different ways. The, the basic question, Jen, is what is your name? And what I mean by that is how do you want to put your name on your trust because what you pick number one is what's going to end up being uniform on all of your assets it needs to somehow be reflected on your id and you have to be able to sign it so i have a lot of people who ask me to use their whole name and then they can't sign their middle name for the life of them so the majority of people will pick their middle initial so you could be jennifer j Mathias but you can put whatever you want. So how would you like me to put your name on your documents? Uh, Jennifer Matias is fine. Okay, so no middle name or initial? Uh, gosh, would you, do, would you have to do that if it's like, I mean, you're do, going also by social security number, so it's not like if my name is particularly uncommon or is there's a different Jennifer Matias. Like, right. I never use it. Then that's fine. Well, you we okay. don't need to use it. Okay. How about Travis? What does he sign? So we will not use middle. See, so got through the hardest question. Middle names are for, for rich people, I think. So we're not okay. rich yet. Maybe I'll come back and revise it. Or, or I can't do that. Maybe I should position myself for, for wealth by putting like a few other names in between. Well, and some people take the John Grisham route and just use their first initial and then their middle name. And, and some folks actually have, you know, a lot of times people will put Larry or Jimmy or Bubba on their worksheet and it turns out that's their real name and but more often than not it isn't so i do have to have real names that are on your id because we don't want to put all of your assets in the name of bubba and then you can't access them because your name is really you know aberforth <laughs> i think i'd go by a bubba if i were aberforth as well no offense to those listening named aberforth all right, and, uh, and I see you live near me. I, I have no problem with that. You have no plans to move in the near future, and that's very important. I had, I had some folks the other day who um, they were planning to, they don't even live in California permanently. They just had a child here for a temporary work assignment, and they checked, yes, we're going to move back to our other state. So I said, well, you need to do your estate plan in that state. And if you want to do it now, get an attorney up there now to do it. And then when you move back home, you won't have to do it over. Because, Jen, every state is different. And all or part of your estate plan will have to be redone if you relocate to another state. 
Wow. How different are they? It's different enough or they just an attorney has to give it a once over? Yeah. So I always tell people if they move to another state um, to have an attorney in that state review everything. The living trust is the most portable. Powers of attorney and wills are not as portable. Most states have different rules for those. So you have to have one that's, that's valid in the state you live in. Gotcha. What's nice with the living trust is, is a trust in any state can own real estate in every state. So you don't need a separate trust in each state. But for example, in some states, a will has to be notarized. And in California, a will cannot be notarized. It requires two witnesses. So a will that's just notarized in another state is unlikely to be valid in California. And is there a, I know I asked the question about whether there's like a, a recording process for wills. And I know that answer was no, but once you create a trust and you move to another state and die there, like, is there a way for an attorney or probate or whatever happens in that other state to find your trust in California? It would be very difficult. Really? There is no registry or trusts. So what you're supposed to do is let your beneficiaries and trustees know that you have a trust. Mm -hmm. So when I prepare your trust, I'm going to prepare a two-page summary edition, staple my business card to it, and we're going to send it to all of your successor trustees so they know you have a trust and who to contact in case they can't find it. Okay, interesting. You don't want to, you don't want to just hide your estate plan in a safe deposit box and and hope that somebody will magically be able to convince the bank to pull it out for them when you die. Do you as an attorney wish there were a more trackable way of doing these things or are you more than happy that there isn't? Well, it goes both ways. I get letters and emails all the time from other attorneys saying, is, does anybody know Joe Smith and did you do a will for him? On the other hand, most people want their estate plans to be private. Hmm. So, but I think it would help if there was some registry. There is for advanced healthcare directives. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Things this important, you'd think there would be some kind of uh, public log. <laughs> and wills are supposed to be lodged with the court when someone dies, but that rarely actually happens. Really? In a lot of cases, whoever has the will doesn't even know. Many attorneys keep their clients' original wills. So if they're not paying attention to, um, you know, uh, the, the obituaries, they're not going to know that the client has died. I've seen bank managers actually reading obituaries to see if they need to freeze clients' accounts. Maybe there's like right. a... So okay, let's move to the next there. part of the worksheet. You okay. work for Why Not Partners LLC. Tell me what Why Not Partners LLC is. It is the LLC that me and my partner own 50-50 that's um, got interest in real estate and marketing and uh, media, i.e. Tricks of the Rich podcast. And then your husband works for a company called What is that? That is a electrical contractor. Um, he's a instrumentation tech with uh, like the pipe fitters union, but he works with this electrical contractor um, doing mostly industrial work. And they're a national company. Um, he works for the local office. Now, I don't need your social security numbers, but I do need your birth dates. There's okay. nothing else so I can, you know, send gifts on the appropriate days. So start with you, Jen. You've got to get those in the database then. And Travis. 
I robbed the cradle by yeah, six years. Yeah. Well, I won't call you a cougar. All <laughs> right. Um, you're both U.S. citizens, which is very important to know. That's one of the top questions on the worksheet, because if you're not a U.S. citizen, um, you don't nor you, you may not get the estate tax credit that a citizen gets. So a U.S. citizen can pass right now over eleven and a half million dollars to anybody without any estate tax. Mm -hmm. Non-citizen, non-resident, you don't have your green card, can pass it's a hundred and something thousand to their wife or kids or anyone else, and then anything over that is taxed at 40%. There's Whoa. a way to plan to protect you from that, so that's why I have to know if you're a U.S. citizen. Would you, if someone is not a citizen but has citizenship somewhere else, would they also have a will in, will in that country in which supersedes? Yeah, well, if you, so... U.S. estate plans and courts cannot affect assets in another country. So if you have assets in another country, you have to do an estate plan there as well. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, most people I meet with who aren't citizens have all or most of their assets here. They just have never gotten around to getting citizenship. I see. Okay. Um, so it's important to know that. The next question that is important to know is whether you have an existing estate plan. You'd be surprised how many people come to see me who actually have something. They just don't like it anymore and don't bother to tell me. Or they already have a living trust and want to make changes but haven't shared it with me so I could do that. So we always ask right off the bat if there's any estate plan out there. Even if it's something old and you don't like, we need to make sure we've revoked or superseded that estate plan. So here's another story for you, Jen. I, um, I had a, a probate case where we couldn't find any kind of will or estate plan. So we went to court, got somebody appointed as executor with no will. It's called a personal the administrator. And then we opened up the safe deposit box. And in the safe deposit box was a collection of about 10 different wills. Starting at the top, um, was we, the way we pulled it out was the oldest will. And they were all hand done. And they all had different things in them, and none of them canceled the previous wills. So we had to stack them and try to figure out what was what. Now, if you give away a certain asset, so if you have a 79 Mustang and you give it to Jen in your first will, and then you give the exact same asset to Travis in the second will, Travis gets it. But in this case, it was giving dollar amounts and percentages. And my client, the sister, went from getting everything to getting almost nothing over the course of an hour when we read through these wills. So had I been involved, I would have canceled all those wills and just done one will or trust to rule them all so we didn't have this kind of chaos. Okay, so and that's just repaired by having a sentence saying this supersedes everything else? Right, so the normal will starts off with this is my last will and testament and I hereby revoke all previous wills and codices. Gotcha. That's standard language in a will. If we have a trust that exists, we either amend or revoke it. Okay. Or restate it so we don't have to worry about the old trust. So that's important to know. And you're, you've come nice and clean without having done anything. So I don't have thing, to I mean, when, I, when, I, when I've been in the hospital, they have like medical directives and stuff. But that might just be per hospital stay. I don't know. But I do have some things on record in hospitals. Does that count? It probably does count. It's probably still valid. We'll do a new one to supersede those. And then once you do one with me, don't do another one. I've okay. seen people sign little ones in hospitals that say, I revoke all my 
prior powers of attorney or all my prior healthcare directives, and that will cancel one or two of the documents that I did. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to know. A Right, and a lot of times the ones at the hospitals are done under under medical duress or distress, and and people don't actually like what they put in there. So we. So next time I see that, just don't even fill it in. Just X out. Or it's yeah, uh, you should have one good one that your attorney does for you, and then you don't need to do the ones at the hospitals anymore. You just share the one that we do. If okay. you have Kaiser, they have a registry. So I tell all my clients who are Kaiser patients to give Kaiser, let Kaiser make a copy or scan of their advanced directive, and then they're all set. Okay. All right, the next question on here is either of you been married before? Perfect no. answer, no, so that saves us a lot of discussion. <laughs> um, the next question on here, are either of you expecting to receive a gift or inheritance or a lottery check? And I ask this question for tax planning purposes. Right now, the estate tax exemption is $11.5 million. As a couple, if you set up your estate right, you can pass to over $23 million without any estate tax. So I only know, need to know details of gifts or inheritances if they're larger gifts or inheritances. If they're under a couple million dollars, um, I'll say, I'm sorry, and we'll just continue on. Are either of you expecting a large gift or inheritance? No, much to my chagrin, we are on our own. <laughs> All right, so we're not going to worry about that. Now we're going to move to the next section, which is about your children. And very important, I needed to know whose child they are, and they do belong to both of you. Mm -hmm. um, I need their birth date. So what is your son's birthday? Okay, you're not supposed to have to pause and think about that. That tells you what the husband does. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is your daughter's birthday? I know these both well. Have you ever had any other children living, deceased, or secret? No. <laughs> now. I promise. I'll give you eye contact when I say that. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> this is where the husband gives me wise-ass answers. Um, it's very important to know that because you'd be amazed how many people do not tell me if they have a deceased child, figuring they don't count anymore. But by law, their children are beneficiaries. And so they would be forgotten heirs if we don't account for them. So we need to list them and say whether or not they're going to be heirs. The other thing is, is people sometimes have children they don't want to leave anything to. So their conclusion in their head is just don't tell the lawyer about it. But legally, they're now a forgotten child and they get an equal share. So you have um, to tell me about them. And then we put them in and say, you know, that they don't get anything. Don't leave them a dollar because then we still have to part, have them participate in the administration and, and give them a dollar. So it's best to say, I have this son named Rascal and I leave that Rascal nothing, and then we don't have a problem. Um, I, that, that's been in the news lately because of that guy, Steve Bing, who had $500 million estate and he had a couple kids that are surfacing now. Um, have, you been, have you seen those news, news articles? Well, that's not uncommon at all, but they may uh -huh. not be real kids. When there's enough money out there, all kinds of people surface. But if they're real kids and he didn't provide in his estate plan for them or didn't have an estate plan, then they will get an equal share. Is there a threshold no. for like credibility when they actually will do like DNA testing to see, is this really a genetic child? Right. They will do DNA testing if that 
child can't prove it. They, um, there'll probably be significant litigation over that. And they'll wow. have to you know, prove who the other parent is, show a birth certificate, and, and establish um, that they're a child. So and we I get think, it, yeah. oh, go ahead. Well, we have, I don't want to forget because I have to ask about, you know, people don't tell me about dead children. They don't tell me about children they don't like. And they also don't tell me about illegitimate children. So I had a client in the other day and, um, and his wife died. And he said, well, now I can tell you about my other kids. But if he had died first, it would have been chaos in the estate plan. Oh, my so God. That's why. I really need to know about the kids. I won't, it's confidential. I won't tell anybody else, but you and your husband have to come clean. So in your case, no other children that you're aware of. No, so unless I had a really deep sleep and had a 10 month pregnancy and fought one out without my knowledge. Yes. And then my uh, husband, so, like, I mean, obviously he would have to say, you know, wink, wink, Joel, I'll call you later. And then, um, then if, if that happens, then obviously you have to do two separate trusts. Or is there a way to kind of save face for one until that di di that other dies? So the way it works with married couples is I actually explain to you and have you sign a document that says, I can only represent the two of you as a couple and I will keep no secrets. So if your husband tells me he has a secret love child, I'm going to tell you. So that's a wow. conversation you'll normally have before you meet with me. But I actually had somebody who uh, they signed that document. We were talking. They sent their husband to the car for something and said, okay, I've got to tell you something, but don't tell my husband. And I said, look, 15 minutes ago, I promised I would tell him. So you don't tell me if you don't want him to know as soon as he gets back. So she said they're going to have an interesting conversation, and I never heard from them again. Okay, that is... I don't know what happened with their estate plan. All right, so Jen, getting back to your children. Um, so here's standard questions I have to ask everyone about their children. Number one, are they in good health? Yes. No handicaps or disabilities? No, praise God. Excellent. Is anybody in jail? No. Do your children get along? Yes. Can you think of any reason other than the fact that they're young why they could not be your beneficiaries? Yeah. And this, so you can, I could see your brain working. This can lead to all kinds of planning requirements. So if I have somebody who's handicapped or disabled, we need a special needs trust. If I have somebody with a horrible spouse, we need maybe to make other provisions. If someone's in jail, we need to do, make special provisions. If your kids oh, don't yeah. get along, I need to make sure they're not your co-trustees. I get a lot of times people say, well, my kids don't get along, so I'm going to make them co-trustees and that'll teach them to get along. That never ever works. In 30 years of doing this, it's only made things worse. And it usually takes years to administer the trust. And usually we have to get some lawyers and judges involved when they don't get along. Let me ask Never. you a question. You had a, you, you mentioned something very important. If they end up having a bad spouse, are, are your kids when they get married are, are is, um, is, is having one of them, in your trust or will or, or this estate plan, do they make them equal or no? It's, 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 they're not legally the same entity. If they have a bad spouse, that spouse doesn't have like, um, doesn't have we, a say in we, what their spouse does, do they? We normally don't include 
spouses as beneficiaries, we normally avoid them. And by law, gifts and inheritances are separate property. They in are, California. okay. Okay. Yeah, I get a lot of people that are worried, well, if I leave something to my daughter, it becomes her husband. And, and heck no, that doesn't make sense. And that's not the law. Okay. But normally when we get to the beneficiary section, we're going to say if something happens to your children, we'll probably leave their share and trust to your grandchildren, if not to your surviving child. We rarely write in the, um, the in-laws and some folks call them the outlaws. Oh, it seems an important question that if an inheritance stays the property of one spouse, it seems like there's got to be a point at which it becomes community property because obviously the, the marriage will use those funds. What if you say like, well, that's, that's, that's mine, that million dollars. We never touched that million dollars. So when we got divorced, I take that whole million dollars. When clearly, if it's, if it's used, you can't just say like every single expense of my family came out of my non-inheritance. So that's a very complicated issue. So that's a semester of law school called community property. However, the basic rule is, is if you have separate property, as long as you don't commingle it, it stays separate property. Okay. However, you have to be careful because if you have a separate property home and that has a mortgage and you use community property to pay the mortgage, you will start transmuting or turning that property into community property. So if I have a client who's inheriting a lot of money, I will suggest that they set up a separate trust for that separate property inheritance and that they make sure that their assets um, support themselves. Use your separate property or get a prenup. Make sure you're using separate property to pay the mortgage. If you're using community property, then that makes a mess to try to figure out what's what. So obviously it's done on a case-by-case -case basis, but we have to be careful how that's set up. So I have a client now where it's a larger estate and we're having everybody set up a separate trust before we make a distribution. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. And in that case, there's no debt, so there won't be any issue of accidentally turning it into partial community property. It's all um, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So we're going to keep it in a separate box. Big estate, lots of assets, no debt. Hopefully, by the time I die, you and I will revise this, so that'll be mine as well. But in the meantime, well, I will not be taxing um, you. Well, one of the um, analysis we're going to do on the next um, portion of the program is how to get rid of your debt. So I'm looking at uh, your worksheet right now, and what we're going to do is a life insurance analysis to make sure there's enough insurance to pay off any debt and put your kids through grad school. Gotcha. Okay. So that's going to be cool. part of that analysis. But we have finished the family kind of third of the trifecta. So I know what's going on in your family enough and it's straightforward enough that we can move on in the, in the next portion to talk about the, your financial situation and see if we have any recommendations there. But we're going to talk about uh, that in part two of Jen Does Her Estate Plan. Well, you know what this basically breaks down to? Section one, points of pride. Section two, elements of shame. Section three, so we'll have it all like the circles of hell or heaven. <laughs> it's funny how that works out. We're going to do the circle of shame next. And then <laughs> after that, we're going to talk about how we actually set up things for the kids 
you know, if it's going to be an equal distribution or something else, what kind of age restrictions, who's going to be in charge of their money, who are they going to live with, that's the third section. That's great. Awesome. I already feel more completely adult. (laughs) (laughs) Adulting 101. This is Joel Harris. I am an estate planning and probate attorney with three offices in the East Bay. I'm a state bar certified specialist and a California super lawyer. I help people set up estate plans because everybody has an estate and if you don't think you have one, I can show you how. I also review and repair existing estate plans and I help people administer estates. For 30 years, I've specialized in helping folks translate all this stuff into English instead of here and after their two fours. Thank you so much for listening to the Tricks of the Rich podcast. Be sure to visit our website, tricksofthericht.com, where you can find recordings of the podcast and submit questions for our Q&A sessions and um, also a list of events that we're having in your area so we can meet you in person and answer your personal questions. Thanks so much.